we're going to be talking for the rest of the summer about the way of the kingdom. And uh, Jesus, when he started his earthly ministry, right, you know the story, Jesus was baptized. Here's the Father say, this is my son, my beloved, whom will please. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. He goes in the wilderness. He's tested. He comes out and it says that he's full of the Spirit. And Jesus starts his earthly ministry by saying this phrase. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he's saying, guys, is, is, is the key. It's the key to everything that we are talking about. Because the word repentance, I know for a lot of us, we've seen it, right, or heard it used in, in condemning ways or just, just not the way that God designed this thing to be. But the word repent in Greek is metanoia, which simply means to change your mind. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming here to usher in a new kingdom, a new reality, right? The, the people of Israel, they're under the tyranny of Rome. They're being oppressed. And Jesus is saying, I'm bringing an eternal kingdom, and in this kingdom, God is the ruler, and God is the one who is reigning, right? The word kingdom simply means the king's dominion, right? Like the theme park, come on, right? The king's domain, right? The place where the king rules and reigns. But what Jesus says, if you want to access this kingdom that is now but also not yet, you have to change the way you think. And if you know the ministry of Jesus, and as you read through the Gospels, Jesus says some crazy things. Jesus says some things that you're like, wait, what? Jesus, come on, man. What are you saying here? And he's saying, if you're going to see what I am bringing, you have to change the way that you think. And when you change the way you think, it changes the way you live. But I love one of the parables Jesus gives. He says that the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. Who has heard this parable? The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field where you are willing to sell everything to buy the field because of the treasure you found. And I feel like that is such a powerful picture of the invitation of the way of the kingdom that says that you're going to, to see this treasure, which is God's kingdom, God's rule and reign in your life on the earth here and now and here to come. You see this kingdom and you are willing to give up everything to buy this thing. I'm willing to give up the way that I've been living, the way that I've been thinking, because I see this treasure. Because in this treasure, I see a new way of life. A new way of life that says, even in mourning, I can still come out with joy. Like, that's not a, a, a normal thing, guys. <laughs> like, that is not a human possible transaction. I'm mourning, so there's joy. The kingdom, when you enter in, you enter in with mourning and you come out in joy. This is what he is inviting us into, that when you see how valuable this thing is, that you're willing to give up everything to buy the field. And so Jesus has his introduction, repent for the kingdom is coming. He's getting people prepared. It all leads to the moment, to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is giving the introduction, he's giving teaching on how his kingdom operates. You see it from Matthew 5 and Matthew 7, two chapters. Jesus is teaching on the kingdom. And his introduction, as we know, is called the Beatitudes, right? Which just in Latin means blessings. But his introduction to the kingdom is, is, is the most countercultural thinking I think you can come in contact with. 
John Mark Comer, he calls the Beatitudes a manifesto to a whole new way of being human. Corey Russell says that it's the constitution of the kingdom. This is how the kingdom operates. This are the, the value system of this kingdom. And so this morning, we're going to tackle the first blessing, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. So let's jump in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. If you have your Bibles, go there. It says this, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So the word blessed or blessing is a word for happy or fortunate. So Jesus is saying, if you want a happy life, you have to be poor in spirit. If you want a happy life, you need to learn how to mourn. If you want a happy life, you have to show mercy. If you want a happy life, you need to learn how to be humble. And when you hear Jesus' list, on earth, none of it makes sense. You're like, no, it doesn't sound that happy. It doesn't sound like a blessing. And I love this because like, when, you are, when you come in contact with these eight blessings, it literally makes you realize, wait, this is actually very different. I think as Christians, especially for us who've grown up in church or we're used to church, we're so used to things just being normal, right? We're so used to things just being watered down. For example, the topic of the love of God, the most watered down topic. But when you actually come into contact and understand the reality of God's radical love for you, it changes everything. And so the same thing, when Jesus introduces his kingdom, he says, hey, I'm going to flip the script because I need you to literally change your mind if you're going to get this. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you want to have a happy life, who wants a happy life? I think we all do, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I want to have a happy life. I want to have a great life. And here is the prescription for that. But who knows that there is a big difference between being spiritually poor and being poor in spirit. There's a big difference. That Jesus isn't wanting us to be spiritually poor, okay, but he wants us to be poor in spirit, which is to be constantly aware of our need for him. You know, this past week, I was driving, I live in uh, Madison Heights, and weirdly enough, there's a lot of homeless people in Madison Heights. There's a lot of people standing on the road asking for money, and uh, this past week, I was driving, just driving home, and I saw this homeless person on the side of the road, and something in me was like, man, I, I want to bless this person. I want to give this person money. And so, you know, you're waiting in line at the stop sign, and I'm scrummaging through my car trying to find cash. I'm going through the glove box. I'm looking everywhere. And, you know, our generation, we just don't hold cash for whatever reason, right? It's like not a thing anymore. So I'm scrummaging. I'm like, I need cash. Like, I really want to give this guy something. And I get to the stop sign, and he's right there next to me, and I just like quickly pull out my wallet, and somehow I had $5. And I rolled down my window. I was like, hey, man, come here. I want to, I want to, I want to bless you. And I give him the $5, and he just comes with this, this big smile. He's like, thank you so much. I'm like, God bless you. And I drove away, and that was it. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and show me And he said, Andrew, when you are poor, you're willing to stand in the heat and discomfort, not worrying about what people say or think. (laughs) 
Like when you're in need and when you're poor, you don't care what people think. Like, like I, we, we did ministry in Vegas and we, we did a lot of homeless ministry and we did a lot of ministry with a lot of people who were, were really struggling and were in addiction and, and were just trapped in so much. And, and something God showed me is when you are in that position, you don't care what people think. <laughs> like you're literally willing to stand with cars and people coming and coming, holding a sign in the heat saying, I need help. I, I, I need money. I need to live. And when you have that mindset, your life looks a little different. And the Holy Spirit told me another thing. He said, Andrew, the reason why that person is willing to do that is because they are aware of their need. But not only that, when you are poor, you're more willing to receive. And so the difference between being poor in spirit and being spiritually poor is that one knows how to receive and the other doesn't. That's it. One knows how to receive and the other doesn't. You know, Jesus says in the Gospels, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? He's not speaking literally because, right, you know, you can not know Jesus and you can still do a lot of things and a lot of good things, a lot of successful things. But he's speaking to something deeper. Apart from him, you cannot do anything. And I think why so many Christians are spiritually poor and struggle with having a vibrant relationship with God is because they simply don't know how to receive. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We cannot heal we cannot step into our full callings. We can't find joy in mourning, right? We cannot be set free from shame and guilt. We can't walk in freedom. We can't walk in authority if we first don't know how to receive. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know how to tell very easily if someone doesn't know how to receive? Take them out to dinner. Offer to pay for the bill and just watch what happens, right? Like, oh, no, no, I got it, I got it, you're good, you're good. Like, let me take this. And they're like, no, I got it, let me bless you. Like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. Anyone been there? All right. In James 2.5, he says this. He says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Stay rich in faith. That's so good. Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom? He promised to those who love him. That you can be rich and successful, yet still be spiritually poor. And you can be poor, but be rich in faith. That this kingdom works in reverse. <laughs> that Jesus is trying to renew our minds into what he defines as success. As, he, as, as what he designs as wealth, and what he defines as satisfaction. Because who knows, that looks very different in this world. And I want us to know that Jesus isn't saying money is bad, right? He isn't saying financial security is a bad thing, but he is highlighting a heart posture that bears fruit in abundance. That's why he says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than a camel to enter, right, the eye of a needle. He's not saying it's impossible, right, but it's the heart posture. That if you have a heart posture that says, I don't need God, 
I don't need anything. I can do this on myself. I can be righteous in my own strength. I can, I can love my family well without God. I can, I can do this without God. He says, well, apart from me, you can't do anything. He's highlighting a heart posture. There's a moment when me and my wife, uh, before we got married, you know, we're, we're, we're engaged, we're about to get married, and we were looking for a house. And uh, in that process, you know, my wife, her dream was to have a yellow house. That was just her thing. And uh, my desire was like, I just want a house that can be used for ministry. I want a house where we can host people who are coming in for breakthrough. I want a house where we can, you know, just, just help people, minister to people, do community nights. And uh, we, we found this yellow house that was downtown. Some of you guys have been there. And um, we were, it was like an open house. So we, we went and we saw the house. And we were there for like, like, I don't know, an hour or two. It was crazy. We were just walking around. Five-bedroom home. It's big. And we're like, you know, at the time, I was like a dishwasher. Come on. Blessed are the humble. I was a dishwasher. I was like doing graphic design on the side. And I was a delivery student. And... I, I remember going to this house, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a dream house, right? This is amazing. This is everything that, that I want. And, and I was getting pictures of, like, our bath, bathroom and, like, people getting baptized in our, in our tub. And I saw in the corner, man, people getting saved. And, and it was just like, this is, this is such an amazing place. Like, I can see God in this place. And so we were walking around literally for, like, an hour or two. And I heard the Lord say, Andrew, do you want this house? And I was like, yeah, but... There's literally no way, God. Like, I, we can't afford this. I'm a dishwasher, right? Right, God? And I was like, I, I'm like, I, I kind of, but I, there's literally no way. God asked me a second time, Andrew, do you want this house? I was like, yeah, but I mean, like, there's, we really can't, God. He asked me a third time, he's like, Andrew, do you want this house? And I was like, yeah, I want this house. He's like, it's your house. And so I was, and literally in that moment, I like felt God's presence. And we left, and we're sitting in the car, and I was in the driver's seat, and I was just sitting there, and I was like, oh my gosh, hey, this is our house. <laughs> and so we drove to the place, and we put in an application, and, you know, again, barely had any proof of income, horrible, horrible credit, you know, it was like the worst applicant. And we put in an application, they accepted us that day. And they're like, well, if you want this house because, you, you know, you don't have a lot of proof of income, you're going to have to pay three months' worth of rent. <laughs> and I was like, well, there's a hurdle. Um, God, you said you're going to give us this house. And just through God's provision, we, we got enough money to pay to get the house. And we moved in, and after we were married, and people got baptized in our bathtub, and people got saved, and people got delivered. And the point of that story is that when we're poor, or when we have a posture of being poor, and, and, and because we were poor in spirit, we were able to be rich in faith, and because we we're rich in faith, we we're able to see God's provision in our life. That's the beauty. God loves to give good gifts to his children. God loves to provide. God loves to come through. God doesn't want you to, to struggle to teach you a lesson. <laughs> God will refine us 100%. God will discipline us 100%. But God loves to bless us. But in the kingdom, success is defined by dependency, not financial security. In the kingdom, success is defined by dependency, not financial security. And so the other side of being poor in spirit 
is understanding desperation. Has anyone ever been in a season of desperation or a moment of desperation? Right, where the pain comes, when our bank account is dwindling and we don't know how to make it to the next month, right, when we've lost a loved one and we feel alone, that desperation brings us to this place where we realize we've completely run out of options and we have nothing else but God. That's desperation. Where we've run out of every possible option. This isn't going to help. This isn't going to heal. This isn't going to satisfy. This is letting me down. Every option is gone and we realize all we have is God. What would it look like to live from that posture before the Lord? Even if you have a lot of money, even if you have a great job, I have a great job. The Lord blessed me with a great job. But I would rather be poor and have a posture that is rich in faith than be rich and have a posture of being spiritually poor. And in these moments, we gain the perspective, right, that says, not where is God, but where would we be if God wasn't here? That's the posture that says, God, I need you. I'm poor in spirit. And, and you understand that he is the only one that it can actually fulfill and satisfy and save. And so what blocks us, I, I want to kind of get to the issue, what actually blocks us from simply receiving is the lie that God isn't actually good. That's it. If you here in the room struggle with receiving from God, it's rooted somewhere, there's somewhere in your, in your belief system, or there may be an aspect of your belief system, whether it's for your marriage, or whether it's for your finances, or whether it's for your future, whether for it's your job, whatever it is, if, if there's somewhere where it's hard to receive from God, there's somewhere in the root system that believes that God isn't actually good, that you're, you have a distorted view of his character. Bill Johnson, he says this quote, he says, the goodness of God is the cornerstone of all theology. I mean, it's so good. The goodness of God is the cornerstone of all theology. If we don't believe God is good, then what do we believe about God? He's bad? <laughs> There's only two options here, friends. You either believe God is good or you either believe he isn't. And this is the moment where our circumstances very easily can redefine who God is. Very easily. This week, very easily. Or God can define our circumstances. Where we say, God, no, in light of you, in light of who you are, even in the muck and the mire, you redefine what is happening. Jackie Hill Perry, if you know her, she says this quote that is just so amazing. She said, if God is holy, then God can't sin. If God can't sin, then God can't sin against you. If he can't sin against you, then he is trustworthy. You can give an amen to that. If God is holy, if we actually believe that God is holy, then we can believe that God is good. And so when we look at the story of Abraham and, and, and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai, right, at that time, you see God gives them this, this prophetic promise. And he says, through you, you are going to bear children, which, which is the promise. But then there's also a prophetic promise that through your children, I'm going to create a new nation. Right? The people of Israel. 
And as you know, they're like in their 90s, way past childbearing years, right? It's like your great-grandma getting pregnant. And you're like, this is weird. What's going on, right? And literally, they laugh at God. They're like, God, what are you talking about? Like, that's insane. That's why Isaac's name is, is, is laughter, because he laughed at God. And, and God gives them this promise, and they're waiting, right? They're waiting. Nothing happens. And so what they do, they're like, you know, we don't really, we can't really fully trust that God is good. We can't fully trust God as he says, says he is because our circumstances don't line up. And so you know what they do? They, they, they say, well, because God isn't coming through, then, then we have to fulfill the promise. We now have to step into the role of God and do what he said that he's going to do for him. And you know the mess, right? It's like a TMZ show. They're like, all right, let's get our, uh, our maid and sleep with her, and maybe that's how you'll have a kid, because I'm way too old, right? Sarah says that. So you know the story. So they, had, they give birth to Ishmael. That was not the child of promise. That was not what God promised to them. And in God's goodness, he still stays faithful, and Sarah miraculously still gives birth, right, to Isaac. But I think that this story is so real for us today, that so many times God speaks something, or God reveals something, or, or we just know who God is. God doesn't have to say anything. We know who God is. We know who he's been. And we enter circumstances where, where God's character gets tested. On our side, right? Not his side, on our side. And it's in those moments where we can either stand in the posture that says, God, I have nothing else but you, or say, hey, God, because you're not here, I'm going to figure it out. And what happens is we give birth to an Ishmael. And so I want to contrast for you guys what it means to be poor in spirit versus being spiritually poor the poor in spirit live by faith, whereas the spiritually poor lives by their own works. The poor in spirit operates as a child of God, whereas the spiritually poor operates as an orphan. The poor in spirit receives grace, whereas the spiritually poor doesn't know how to receive from God. The poor in spirit runs to God when there is need, whereas the spiritually poor feels distant from God when there is need. The poor in spirit responds in gratitude, Whereas the spiritually poor respond in discontentment. I don't know about you, but that's a reality check <laughs> for me, at least. Where you're like, man, where, do I, where does my heart lie? How do I actually respond in these situations? This is why Jesus is saying, blessed is the poor in spirit. You guys starting to see the blessing? You guys starting to see the goodness of it? And I want us to see there is a reason Jesus listed this as the first blessing. He could have listed, blessed are the persecuted. He could have listed, blessed are those who mourn. He could have listed, blessed are the merciful. But he lists, blessed is the poor in spirit as the first blessing because it's our starting point. This is where we start. Jesus lived out full dependency on the Father. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. That we're saved by grace through faith. Right? Faith is simply receiving Faith is the posture of receiving. We start out our walk with Jesus by receiving, and who knows that how you start is also how you finish. That it doesn't stop. That this is the posture that we live from. 
This is the starting point of embodying the character of Jesus. Every one of the Beatitudes is an invitation to embody his character, to embody his nature, and to be transformed by it. Receiving is also a posture of submission that says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, that nothing else can heal, satisfy, or fix this longing. I need your spirit and your presence to surround me. And I love in, in the Beatitudes, Jesus points out who will be blessed, and then he points out what they'll be blessed with, right, when you read the list. Who will be blessed, what they'll be blessed with, what their reward is. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then in the kingdom, and it's, it's this, this unique thing, right, the now and not yet, that we get to taste an aspect of this kingdom here now because we have the Holy Spirit, who's a down payment of everything that's about to come. But Jesus is coming again to reestablish his kingdom on the earth where he is fully the ruler and he's fully king over everything. But in the now, there is a reward because he's saying when we embody the posture of dependency, we will inherit greater access to the rule and reign of God in our lives. That when we embody the posture of dependency, we will inherit the kingdom of heaven, we will inherit greater access to the rule and reign of God in our lives. What would it look like to, to live as Jesus actually being king over everything, of our decisions, over our relationships, over our day, over our job, over our callings? Man, God, I want every single one of us needs more of God's rule and reign in our lives. I invite the worship team to come up. But I want to end and land in Luke 7, if you guys have your Bibles. Luke 7, verse 44 to 47. I'll give you guys a second to go there. Luke 7, 44 to 47. This is the story of the woman... Uh, who pours out the alabaster jar at Jesus' feet. And a Pharisee challenges Jesus and is like, why are you letting her do this? Like, she's a sinful woman, you know this. Why are you letting her touch you and do this crazy thing? So in verse 44, it says this, Then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell her, tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. But our ability to give is tied to our ability to receive. That being poor in spirit is a posture of a worshiper. And what's so unique about what Jesus says, because he, he, he gives a parable, if you, if you read a little bit above, right, you know, who, who, if someone was, was in debt with a large debt and someone who only had a little debt, if both were forgiven, who would, right, be be more grateful and obviously the Pharisees yeah the one with the larger debt and that's when he says this I tell you her sins are many they're forgiven so she has shown me much love the person who is forgiven little shows little love but here's the interesting interesting thing I want you guys to stay with me as we close 
every single one of us, it doesn't matter if you have the most sinful, crazy life, or if the worst thing you've ever done is said a curse word. Every single person has been purchased and been offered forgiveness with the same exact price. And that's the sacrifice of Jesus. Every single person has been redeemed, right? Has been bought back with the same exact price. It doesn't matter if you feel like, man, I have no testimony. My life is so good and, you know, I just love God. Or maybe you're like, man, I had the worst testimony. I don't know how God can ever forgive me. That every single one of us have been purchased with the same exact price, which was the life, the sacrifice of Jesus. And so when he says the person who is forgiven little shows only little love, he's revealing to us that we've all been forgiven the same, right? Obviously some worse things are, are, are less things. But your ability to love is tied to your awareness of how forgiven you've actually been. That's it. That your ability to love God, to love people, and to love yourself is tied to your awareness of how much you've actually been forgiven and you actually receiving that forgiveness for yourself. That the Christian life starts with receiving. If you can't receive love for yourself, you are not going to be able to love people well, right? You cannot give something that you don't have. This is the invitation. This is the invitation that we worship out of the place that knows we need God and understands that he is the one that satisfies our every longing, but also from the place of knowing his nature and that he is trustworthy, faithful, 